Uh, welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat podcast today with Jacob Laporte. Hi, Jacob. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Jonathan. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me as a, as a guest on your podcast. Yes. So you are actually uh, doing some really interesting work. Um, you are with Novartis. And um, so um, obviously you are going to tell me uh, or tell us basically, you know, uh, what exactly is it that you're doing? Um, you have a very interesting background. Um, so obviously kind of uh, a lot of different topics that we are going to talk about today. Um, and uh, but obviously, as as always, you know, I want obviously to give you the stage, you know, to kind of introduce yourself, you know, where are you coming from? What is kind of your background, you know, in a storytelling way, going through the different stages, summing that things up. But the stage is yours. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much. Um, well, I, I usually describe myself as a recovering scientist. So I uh, did my PhD in organic chemistry and natural product synthesis. Uh, but somewhere along the line, I realized that while I loved learning about and talking about science, I didn't necessarily love the uh, bench work. So I decided to pursue uh, an alternative pathway. And I got the uh, great opportunity to work for McKinsey and Company, which is a global consulting firm. But at that time, um, I was focusing mainly on the pharmaceutical industry uh, and mainly on R&D productivity uh, because I've always had um, the passion to help contribute to delivering science and technology to improve human health. Uh, that's always been sort of the common thread that's, that's really driven me from my academic studies and throughout my professional career. And so it was at McKinsey where I sort of started to learn about the business side of things and saw some of the struggles that the industry was having with R&D productivity at that time. So I got really obsessed with improving uh, or at least making a contribution to trying to improve R&D productivity. So that led me on an entirely different journey where I started to get more and more involved in at McKinsey in innovation within R&D. How do we do things differently? Because it was becoming clear at the time that outsourcing and Six Sigma wasn't really going to solve the problem. It was the, that we needed to do things differently. We needed technology to support us. And so I wound up doing a lot of things that I think today would be labeled as digital, uh, but it was just kind of called innovation. And, and as, at a certain point, I got tired of talking about it with clients and I wanted to do something about it. So my first attempt to do something about it was to start a company called Snapdragon Chemistry with a couple of professors, one of them who was the um, head of the chemistry department at MIT, this guy called Tim Jameson. And um, they had been developing a new way to, to create or synthesize chemicals uh, using a lot more mechanistic uh, and automation it was a way called continuous manufacturing. And Snapdragon chemistry is really all about how do you write the software for those recipes? So how can we turn this science that has been predominantly driven by human manipulation and interactions uh, and, and human to human knowledge transfer more into an automated software-like type of, uh, of, of institution or discipline? And that's what that's all about. Um, and so I had the pleasure of, of kind of starting something from scratch and that's still going. At a certain point, I realized that, uh, you know, I needed to hand the reins off to somebody else and um, they're doing a fantastic job of growing that company right now. 
um, I, I then went, you know, kind of continued on this pathway to continue to transform different parts of R and D and joined a client of mine that I had at, at McKinsey and company in a company called PPD and where she was the chief medical officer. We were focusing a lot on transforming clinical development using technology. And she brought me ultimately into, into Novartis where I was, um, uh, about four years ago, leading um, digital innovation and strategy for our global drug development program, which is about 10,000 associates working on all of our phase two and phase three trials. These are highly complicated operations. They take years and years. And there's a lot that we can do as a community, as an industry to improve patient experience, the way these things operate so that we can ultimately get medicines to patients in need faster. So that's what I was really focusing a lot on there. But at, at, a, at a, a certain point in time, actually very early on, there was, there was this guy that ran the division called Vas Narasimhan, who I think a lot of people know now as a CEO of Novartis. And you know, he started asking me not only sort of what are we doing programmatically, like from the standpoint of transforming trials, but how are we doing it, right? Because his observation was we were doing a lot of things, but he wasn't clear on how much of these digital transformation efforts were really getting to scale and having an impact on the business. So that led me on a, on a parallel set of inquiries around how do you do digital innovation in the pharmaceutical industry better? And, and then that ultimately led me to co-founding the, uh, the biome. Yeah, and we're going to get into that um, shortly after. But, um, you know, it's, it's actually very interesting if you observe this, you know, the, the path that you took. It actually, it, you know, it makes, it makes so much sense. It's, it kind of, you know, naturally happened in a way, you know, from your academic background, basically, you know, what, what, what you, what you uh, worked on and then at McKinsey um, and then now basically at Novartis, right? And, and, and exactly this, you know, uh, what you said, improvement of R&D, that's, that's, that's one of the things that you mentioned. And that's exactly, I mean, if we talk about innovation and kind of, especially on the pharmaceutical industry, right? So what are the big challenges, right? You know, it, it, it makes so much sense and that's where the connection is and that's what you're actually working on today and uh, what you are um, uh, doing with, with the biome. And, um, you know, please, please kind of, you know, for our, for our listeners here, uh, you know, give us kind of the, the, the elevator pitch of the biome, you know, and then also, Leaning on that, you know, what is kind of the story behind that? Sure. Well, many people might be aware that the industry, the pharmaceutical industry and, and, the, and the healthcare sector at large are, are really going through uh, a next generation digital transformation, right? Really trying to figure out how to use these technology paradigms that have, that have kind of come into play over the last 10 years, Web 2.0, AI. How do we actually package these things into solutions that really have an impact and improve patients' lives, um, extend and improve their, their lives, right? So we're all trying to figure that out. And so um, the recognition really for us at Novartis was that the industry in Novartis was not digitally native. So we almost always rely on an external partner to some extent to help us co-create these solutions, right? Um, but co-creation is important because we have a lot of knowledge about the industry, about life sciences, that, and it's really at the intersection of technology and, and life science experience where you can get, kind of develop these solutions that have an impact. But we had no capability 
to really partner with these companies uh, effectively, you know, in, in a sustained way. So it's not to say that we weren't trying, we were trying, but, you know, for every success that we had in partnership, we had a lot of other failures to point to. And so there was a recognition that we needed to have a platform that really helped us partner with these technology companies or these digital health companies much more effectively to increase the probability of success of developing digital solutions that have a meaningful value proposition that can ultimately scale and impact patients' lives. And so the biome is really all about looking at what are the friction points that naturally exist between a large multinational pharmaceutical company and the technology or the digital health space and, and asking the question, how do we start to actually remove those friction points and allow for a much more fluid co-creation process to take place between these two different entities? That's, that's really kind of what, what we're about at, at a high level. Right. And um, so when, when, when did you guys start this? It was at the end of 2018, we formally launched in San Francisco. Um, so we've been on this journey for a couple of years now. And yeah. so it's gone from, you know, and, and we've trans transformed. So we did, we started the biome pre predominantly in, in that organization I talked about, that global drug development organization, right? That runs phase two and phase three trials. There was a recognition that the biome was not really specific to GDD. So we actually got bumped out and started creating an enterprise-wide platform very early on in 2019. And now we have um, 10 hubs in, in different countries throughout the world. And so our model really is all about figuring out how to develop these solutions that help us you know, co-create with these, these digital health companies. And then the way we actually scale that, that, that system, that operating system is to download our operating model into each of these different hubs, because there's great digital innovation happening everywhere in the world. And we're trying to solve problems in the healthcare system everywhere in the world. So we needed a consistent and effective way to engage these digital ecosystems everywhere in the world to help us solve problems in healthcare everywhere in the world. So that's how we approached scaling um, this operating model is to develop these different local hubs in partnership with the existing country organization for Novartis. So we're actually really leveraging our experience in that market that we built up already in Novartis, but then we're pairing it with digital health expertise um, from a biome perspective and, and therefore really getting that, that synergy that's allowed the biome to scale very quickly and effectively. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually asked uh, why, why uh, when, 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 when you guys actually started is, is because um, it's very interesting. So um, I, I want to kind of, you know, uh, delve a little bit deeper into kind of, you know, the, the early days of that and the early kind of thinking on, on, on the biome. And, and that is because, um, you know, it, it is not too long ago that you guys started out this, right? And obviously when, when, when a decision is taken within an organization to start something like that, right? Um, that's obviously a lot of uh, strategy and, and vision kind of is involved and you try to map that to your organizational DNA. And obviously, you know, those were, were not the first kind of steps taken within, you know, that thematic, um, let's say, pool. And there's a lot of, and obviously you also look to the left and to the right, right? You look at what is your competitor doing? What are other players in the market doing? And there has been a lot of, so in, the, in this 
in between 2010 and 2020, right? That this was kind of like this digital transformation, you know, um, decade where uh, a lot of basically initiatives have been started, a lot of department have been created, right? New positions have been created um, from from chief digital officers to chief innovation officers to whatever it is, right? And a lot of a lot of these uh, corporate activities also, you know, um, oftentimes they failed, right? And and um, and they, they got pivoted, departments got closed down, or they were renamed or whatever, you know? And so what I want to basically dive into a little bit more is, you know, how did you basically guys, you know, come up with this formula for you, for yourself, basically, for Novartis and said like, okay, so this is what, we, what we've seen somewhere else. This is what we really ultimately want to do for ourselves. And this is how it's kind of unique. And we are also you know, sure that this is going to work out and not just going to be another, you know, innovation initiative, basically. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, because, you know, there, there definitely is this perception and, and, and also probably data to back it up that a lot of these kind of quote unquote innovation initiatives, they, they kind of like die out over time. There's really not a lot of successes that people can point to where, where these things kind of sit on the side and they drive innovation. Right. So, you know, look, I, I mean, to be candid, our model has evolved significantly. Right. And, um, you know, we, we took a hard look at what everyone was doing and we tried to figure out what would work best for our situation, but there's nothing like putting it into practice and then trying to grow this, the, the initiative, right. And, and learning and learning from your, your customers, like what they actually need. And I think that's been actually the biggest benefit for us was no one handed us a lot of money, right. We got something like $400,000 as, as seed funding, right. From, from, from boss when he was head of GDD with a sort of a, like a, a note that said, Hey, you know, good luck guys. <laughs> I'm off to become CEO. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> he didn't really write that, but I mean, you know, and then we were kind of like, okay, well we got to do what we need to do um, to grow this. And so, you know, there were some lessons along the way I, and we see ourselves, uh, we see our customers being internal business functions and, and, and franchises that, that are in Novartis and the external ecosystem. So we've got customers kind of on both sides. And what we did is we had to get really, I mean, I hate to say it because it's really, uh, you know, cliched, but we became really customer obsessed. And we, we started having these conversations with people and they're like, we, you know, we don't need help with this. We need help with that. We, we don't, you know, we think we've got this, we, you know, we, we need this. And so we started building a program based on customer feedback. So we start, so, so as an example, what does that mean concretely? We thought when we came out, we thought we needed like an accelerator program, right? Where, um, you know, it was like this really well-organized program for a certain amount of period of time. And they, we would have curriculum and, you know, would help these, these startup companies, you know, get, get, get accelerate themselves, you know, in some way. And look, you know, what we found out is most of those companies didn't need that. They just, there was plenty of accelerators out there that were doing that much better than we ever could. And so, so we asked the question, so what is our niche? What is our unique value proposition to these, these companies? And the reality is it was more about helping them go to market in a very complex healthcare setting that these traditional accelerators, like, you know, whatever it may be, like plug and play, which is a great program, 
Well, they just, they, you know, they have limited experience in actually putting something into a healthcare system and making it work with all the regulations and everything around that. So we, we've transitioned our program to, to saying, you know, let us take, you guys are kind of already established and accelerated. Let us help you go to market. And, and so what that's practically meant is we're re- really flexible on how we support people. In some cases, we put regulatory resources around some of these companies and help them get their product on the market faster. In other cases, it's about taking something that's working well in, in, in France, right? And saying, where else can this work well? And we actually have a really great example that's just come out publicly about that. We had an amazing company called TLAC Healthcare, which has this great solution, um, which is built off of gaming principles, right? So they, they kind of, you know, patients can download this or anyone in the population can download this. They can figure out whether or not they need to go to an ophthalmologist. And this game is really sticky. They've got long-term engagement metrics that rival like Facebook and Twitter. And that's, and that's unheard of in digital health, right? Most, most of the time, there's a precipitous drop-off after four to six weeks of these things being used. And we said, this is really interesting. So we worked with a bunch of people in Novartis, including the worldwide ophthalmology franchise. And now we're scaling that into the US and we're starting to scale it into Germany. We're starting to scale it into Belgium. We're starting to scale it into Australia. And all of a sudden, you know, this company's got an international, you know, kind of expansion plan because they had an amazing product, but we can really help them expand and figure out how to adapt their product into these different markets. And that's, that's what we've started to gear our, our innovation platform towards. Yeah, absolutely. So how does, how does the, um, so I absolutely understand basically also the role of the bio, basically, you know, mm-hmm. obviously oftentimes, you know, the number one obstacle that startups have, um, working with corporates is obviously the, the, the corporate processes that you have, right. And which, which makes it kind of really hard to, to start the engagement, to to set up uh, set up engagements quite quickly, etc. And that's just because obviously corporates are corporates, and and, and that everybody knows that, right? In, in, in regards to the size and, and the processes that are in place. Um, but so I definitely understand the role of the biome. So what I'm interested in is basically, so how does that relate to um, you know the, the value add to to uh, Novartis in that sense, right? So obviously you help them. You help. You have a startup that is, you know, that that is uh, has an interesting solution, right? But what is ultimately the long term value add to Novartis in that sense, right? So you have a you have a business model on a, let's say let's take a specific unit, right? So that, that you showed in that example, it has a, a business model, and now you say like, okay, so there's this new digital uh, digital health uh, company that you know is in the same in the same domain, you know, and and we help them scale because we we got the expertise when it comes to to the traditional market and all the uh, regulations when it comes to that. So how does that relate to, for example, if you, I, I assume that there's also a fund, uh, a corporate VC vehicle, et cetera, that Novartis has, right? Where exactly is then there the value add for Novartis in that place? If for example, Novartis has not invested into that company. Right. Yeah. So, um, so just taking a step back, right. So we know we need to transform, you know, and create new value propositions for our end users, our patients, our healthcare professionals. Um, and we, we know we need to kind of build the, and we know digital is going to have a big part in helping increase that value proposition. Right. I mean, that's, that's almost a given when we start to talk about this digital transformation. And so where we've built this really 
this engine for translating great innovation that's happening externally into our context, which is what the biome does. It's, it's more of a translator than anything else, right? Um, that it, all of a sudden, when you can do that at scale systematically, it starts to increase the probability of success that these digital solutions are going to have an impact on your value proposition. So we, we, if we go back to the example I just talked about with TLAC Healthcare, right? You know, um, it's not it's not good enough for us just to have a medicine anymore, right? That that treats a disease. We need to look at what's the overall journey for these patients, right? So a lot a lot of our medicines are treating people that have had declining eyesight. They tend to be older. They tend to need to rely on others to take them to these appointments. And so how do we capture these individuals and help them on their journey with these digital solutions? And, and we, we're doing that, right? And we're making even bigger commitments to that. But there, no one's really figured it out, right? It, it's not like you can download a solution from Amazon and put it into a healthcare system. Like it's just really not that way. If, if it were that way, we'd love that. We'd love for our, us just to be able to almost like, like the app store and Apple just download the app, right? But the problem is we've got to actually do a lot of translation of these solutions that are being built from, from great innovators, right? But there's a lot of translation that needs to happen in order to put that into a health system and have it work. And that's, and that's where the biome is really building that competency to help Novartis and the innovators externally do this more successfully and more systematically throughout the world. And I think that's where the value proposition comes in. So you can, you can invest in these companies and we absolutely do. We have a vehicle to do that, but there's nothing like where the rubber meets the road and you say, okay, we want to put this solution into the hands of patients in France or wherever. What are the the regulatory things we need to consider. What are the, how do we build awareness around this? How do we actually drive adoption? We actually had a sales force in France that was um, independently sort of promoting this solution, independent of our medicines, right? We said, look, this is not, nothing to do with our medicine specifically. It has everything to do with improving healthcare around ophthalmology, right? So it's thinking about all these things that, that, that classically, have been not thought about in a systematic way. And, and I would argue that's the reason why I think digital health has tended to struggle a bit with kind of having a lot of success stories where the solution has been put into patients' hands at scale and really had an impact, right? Because there is these, there just is this complexity to healthcare and you've got to be able to deal with it. And we're starting to build up that competency and how to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. So that is definitely a, a very important, a, a very important point that you're mentioning here. So it is, you know, it's it's not a. I'm not sure whether we 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 talked about this in our uh, pre-call that we had on on this podcast. Is uh, you know, there's a difference between whether an uh, algorithm suggests you uh, you know a, a a movie that you are not interested in or a product that you don't want to buy on Amazon, right? Uh, and and a difference to basically, uh, you know. Uh, something that is related to your health right so that is that is that is one side of things so that makes it obviously more complex on the uh, regulatory side of things but also more or less in in, in building product and 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 
you know, acquiring the, 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 the right data and also the, you know, the decisions that are made are way more crucial and have a much bigger impact, basically. Yeah, I mean, you framed it beautifully. I mean, look, if the Netflix algorithm chooses a movie for you that you only marginally like, I mean, that's one thing. So you, you might have spent a couple minutes or a half an hour even before you realize that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's annoying at best. But, you know, if you get an algorithm that's selecting the wrong patients or the wrong treatment, it could be a life and death decision. And that's just the reality of healthcare. Um, and, and therefore, we do need these controls. We do need these compliance and quality things in place. And that adds complexity, but it's important. And you've got to be able to, 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 to navigate that, those, those things effectively to, to put these solutions into, into patients' hands and, and, and have it improve their outcomes and their experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I also can see like how is that, is the biome an, an own entity? So like a, a, an own company? No, no, we're not a separate company. And, and again, I think this is where we we've learned a lot of lessons about how to how to actually build something that has a meaningful value proposition mm-hmm. to the business or as some people have like, you know, referred to like the big the bigger corporate enterprises, the mothership. Um, I don't see Novartis as a mothership. I, I see it as an important customer of the biome mm. and an important it, it, it platform to actually help these great companies that we're finding scale solutions and combine them with our life science solutions and therefore have a greater impact, uh, a much more positive impact on um on our patients. And so therefore we're not a separate entity. And in fact, what, you know, in that expansion plan, I talked about when we opened these biome hubs, um, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier in the conversation, but it's worth repeating. Uh, we open these in complete partnership with our country organization that already exists, you know, so what, you know, actually probably going on right now, we're launching the biome Germany, right? So that's actually happening as we speak. Uh, we're having a program around that. Um, it's all in German, unfortunately, for those that, that don't speak the language, but we'll, we'll do a recap of it. Um, we did that in complete partnership with the digital team that exists there, with the CPO, the, the, um, the, the country organization heads, and they approve it, they invest in it. And that's actually been beautiful. While all these people don't necessarily report to me, so I, I don't feel as important, they're highly integrated into the, the, the business, right? They understand what the business needs are and they also understand the external ecosystem and they bring these things together more effectively. And that's actually been uh, an amazing uh, adaptation of our model that I would, you know, would say it was a little bit of happenstance. It just kind of happened that way. Um, we had, we had reduced funds and frankly, we needed to, to somehow scale. And we started saying, you know, Hey, would you guys kind of, kind of go in with it on, on this with us? And, and, but it's been a beautiful adaptation of our model. So we're instantaneously relevant to the business. And therefore I think that's going to be our legacy, you know, as this, as this goes forward. Yeah. It's a very beautiful way of scaling. So it's a a very, very good approach actually. so, you know, we, we talked about this, so, uh, you know, digital being such a, such an important uh, factor. 
So obviously you on a daily basis uh, with your team, you, you guys see a lot of very in innovative companies. And um, so there's this notion and, uh, of, of, or this, 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 again, this term, um, personalized medicine and, and personalization in general, you know, when it comes to, to, to human health, either it be personalized nutrition, personalized medicine, personalized, whatever it be, it's just about personalization, right? So basically having enough data on a patient that you are able to kind of, you know, give him the right treatment, give him the right medicine, give him the right product um, that, that fits to his uh, particular profile. So, um, and, and, and that is obviously a very, very, uh, you know, amazing idea. And, and, and you know, it's, it's obviously where we are moving towards to. However, I mean, we, we already covered a, a lot of these ch challenges that, you, that, that one has, right, in, in, in regards to that, especially when it comes to the human health. But how would you, so from your perspective, from all the things that you see, right, how would you judge that, right? What is kind of the status quo from your personal perspective, you know, kind of the high versus reality um, thing here? Yeah, I, I think when everyone, when anyone frames it like where we're status quo, hype versus reality, I always have to reflect back on the Gardner uh, hype cycle, right? You know, I think most people kind of have some idea what that looks like, where, you know, you, you kind of get a little bit of signal that this thing could be important. Then it gets hyped up incredibly, whereas um, it, it, it's sort of beyond what the its capability is at the time. Then as a result of that increased hype, it, it kind of goes down a lot. People tend to forget about it or they dismiss it. And then it starts to ultimately creep back up. Um, I think where we're at with with personalized medicine is we we're we're on that starting to creep back up in into actually um, building solutions that have a meaningful impact. So if I was to reflect on my experience in, in personalized medicine, right, this started to really come out as a big hyped thing um, around the time of the the human genome project. So in the late '90s, and and there was a confluence of things that happened, right, that I think. They, they just happened almost coincidentally. Um, so there was this thing called Gleevec that came out, you know, in the, in the late mid to late nineties, which actually I'm proud to say was a, a drug that Novartis developed that, that had a very targeted approach to a very specific cancer. Right. And it almost worked like a miracle for those people that had that very specific targeted, you know, kind of molecular pathway for their, for their cancer. Right. I mean, there's people that are still alive today, as a result of that. So people were looking around saying, well, that's, that's amazing. So if we know all of these molecular pathways and we can kind of just create these Gleevex, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be set. And then everyone started looking at the human genome project. Well, once we kind of map the human genome, we'll know all these pathways problem solved. Right. The reality is, and, and maybe people knew this at the time, but the reality is it's the hu human, you know, biology is way more complex than that story that I just told you, right? The fact of the matter is we sequenced one genome for billions and billions of dollars, and we had no understanding of how all the small minor differences between all of our DNAs actually translates into healthcare outcomes, right? And then we started looking at it. And I think, you know, we're like, whoa, this is really complex because then all of a sudden there was the epigenome, right? All these little molecules that affect how the gene is expressed. Then there was protein expression. We we're just getting at the bottom of how quantifying that. And then the bigger problem was, wow, there's no way, there's no systematic way that in most countries 
that we actually track people's health status. So we don't really know. We like if even if we know the differences in their DNA, we have no I we, no way of associating that with what that means for their healthcare outcomes, right? So, so people started throwing up their hands, you know, about ten years ago. We're like, we're we're never going to solve personalized medicine. It's really complex. And then all of a sudden, we're getting these new disciplines coming in, and technology is doing its thing, right? We have you know, genome, whole genome sequencing that can be done for a thousand dollars or less, right? Which was that magic, you know, number that everyone said that would be required for it to come into the mainstream. We're getting AI solutions gradually that are doing amazing things with data. And so in targeted instances where we have the data to train AI, it can do wonderful things for personalized medicine, you know, the, the problem comes back to having that universal data set that can really map all of the differences in DNA and all the other kind of structural things like your proteins and say, this is what we can predict for Jake. We know that he's going to have heart, if he doesn't change his diet, by the way, if he, you know, he's going to have heart disease at 55. And we know, by the way, that, you know, a statin is not going to be effective for him just based on his genetic composition. So therefore we need to put him on whatever PSK nine inhibitor, if it, if that were the case, right. Um, we just, we're just not there yet. And I think what we need to get there is a universal data ontology, you know, first of all, so when we're capturing all this healthcare data throughout all these different healthcare systems, it's, it can be mapped together effectively. And there's just nothing like that, that exists. And we need to have a commitment from society that tracking people's health is going to benefit future populations in a very significant way. And, and they've they started to wrap their, their heads around this in the Nordics. The Nordics is actually doing quite well. They have societal trust at a very high level. They have the mechanisms in place to track these, to track their population fairly consistently throughout their lifetime and understand what their healthcare outcomes are. So I think we're going to start to see, you know, I think that the Nordics perhaps more so than any other place where we can do start to see some really interesting things happen with personalized medicine. And then maybe that will convince others that they should really join that, that, that journey. Yeah, absolutely. So the, I, I also had a lot of discussions on that, you know, that especially the data points. So you, you mentioned all these different areas that are popping up, right. And, and there's uh, so much, so much work that to be done and so many opportunities, you know, however, it always, you know, the biggest challenge is always, uh, you know, regarding having having the right quantity of data and also obviously the quality of the data, right? So for sure, for sure, because when we talk uh, when we talk about AI, and I I, I don't remember exactly your audience. So this might be extremely elementary. So uh, uh, I don't mean it to come off as a, a patronizing thing, comment whatsoever. But when we talk about AI and healthcare, or in general, what we're really talking about is m machine learning. Right. That that's really the dis the sub discipline in AI that's driving a lot of these results. And so within machine learning, what's always critical is that you have training data sets that can can train these algorithms. So if you don't have a good training data set, your algorithm your algorithms is not gonna really do you any any good. Right. And so I think it's really and so you're right. The, the reflection now in the community is how do we actually get these good data sets to train these algorithms? Because 
they can do amazing things if they have the right data set. But that's the problem is the data right now in healthcare is all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. So um, especially uh, you mentioned the Nordics, right? And, and, and I think it, it, and this, that, that's why I'm also kind of, you know, uh, looking a little bit on this, you know, with a, yeah, you know, I would not say pessimistic perspective, but really on a, yeah, it's a very long way kind of perspective, you know? So it, it, that's what you said, right? Data is, is, is for, for everyone, right? It, it's, it's just basically all over the place, you know, regulatory wise, it's also quite difficult. You know, I mean, we had all these, uh, all these conversations popping up on data and, and how, um, how AI needs to be basically, you know, controlled, etc. And we've just been at this at the at the point where it's about basically our social lives, right? So about about this first kind of era that that we went through. So now imagine when it comes to health, right? What what the time frame for that will look like, and also all the regulatory hurdles that you will have, and and that perspective. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's the technology is no longer the barrier. What 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 really is the barrier is. Um, having this be part of the social contract for yeah. society um, where we can in a trusted way interact with our populations and capture this nuanced health data from them and turn it into societal good but but only at that not turn it into hey this is how insurance companies can segment out populations they don't want to cover right which is a real concern Right. For people, because unfortunately, those types of practices have come into play in the past, but we've got to somehow get past that and understand that if we can do this, um, if we can do this well, it's going to save a lot of lives and extend people's lives in a meaningful way. Yeah, absolutely. So and I, I like that comment that you mentioned, you know, technology isn't really the issue anymore. Right. And so uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, right now and especially in technology world right um five years is a lot of time right so uh, really a lot of things and a lot of development is happening in a five in a five-year time span you know and then in that regard you know it's, it's quite difficult to to think about okay you know now you have an accelerator with covid when it comes to things such as telemedicine or stuff like that right so things where you um such an event obviously proves kind of hey that it actually might be very useful to have such things right but there's so many more things really that, that, that we are talking about. And, and if you think, if you think kind of the time frame, it's very, very difficult to judge upon that. Right. And so this is kind of the question that I, that I, that I want to ask. So from, from, from your perspective at biome, right. So the things that you are looking at, obviously you're trying to cover the entire ecosystem of, of Novartis, right. In the different areas that you have, but what is like, so if, if you kind of uh, look at, you know, the, your time frame. So kind of, if you look at the next five years, three to five years or whatever, right? So what are the things that you say, like, Hey, this is something that we think we should focus on because we think it's ready, you know, or there's, there's movement, right? There's things happening. Yeah, no, it, it's a great question. I mean, it's almost impossible to answer this from a technology perspective. Um, and, and maybe this is not going to be a satisfying, answer, but what we're going to focus on over the next three to five years is our patients and understanding and, and our healthcare professionals that we serve and understanding what their, their challenges are. And we're going to build a technology 
ecosystem, a developer community around us. Um, and, and we're going to take the best solutions from that developer community, whether if they're AI based or they're based on some other technology paradigm, it, it, we're not going to judge, right? And so we just need to put ourselves in the position where we understand our our customers, our patients, our healthcare professionals to a degree that that no one else does. We 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 already have a commitment to serve them. That that's de- definite already. And then we need this developer community to help us. And and I think as once we kind of put that more systematically into place, it's going to reduce the translation time that we see now because there is this gap and that's the problem. There's this, this uh, one of my friends likes to call it this uh, uh, efficacy uh, gap between when a digital healthcare company starts up and then they have all the data to prove that there's value to the ecosystem. And I think we got to figure out ways to close that gap. And I think one of those ways is working together very early on to help the developer community understand sort of the problems that we see, how to develop something that fits in our context and therefore shorten that translation time that, that, that these companies have and, and that we have to providing solutions for patients. Um, and we're starting to do that. We're chipping away at that problem, right? That, that example I just gave around TLAC Healthcare, where we're, we're taking something that's working well in France and we're scaling it into the US and Germany. But we're going to continue to look for ways to, to shorten that, that translation time. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I like that example. So from, from this French company, so maybe, you know, kind of, uh, so as we're running out of time here, but, you know, do you have maybe like one or two other examples, you know, obviously you come across a lot of companies, right. And uh, with the biome, but is there maybe like one or two, obviously it's always hard for people to break the, <laughs> to break down things to kind of like a top three or whatever, you know, but like, just like one, two other examples that come to your mind, which you, which you, you know, from, from the ecosystem, of, of, of new company startups or uh, scale-ups, you know, that, that, that you think are, you know, very interesting to, to mention here? You know, I, it's, it's always hard for me to kind of answer that question because I, uh, honestly, there's so many great things going on. Yeah. There, there really is. I mean, I'm not trying to sidestep in any way. I mean, there are so many amazing entrepreneurs out there, whether they're in a bigger, medium size, or they're starting their own thing. There are a lot of people now that we've observed that are really focusing on healthcare. Some of them have had their own experiences with healthcare that have driven them. Some of them just, you know, see this as a really important problem to solve. And there's a starting to become a, a growing community that's that's actually quite large now of, of very motivated individuals in various different companies trying to solve this problem. And by no means do I want to suggest that there are things that, you know, are kind of are more important or better, you know, that I see better for me. I mean, the reality is that as Novartis, we've got to understand what is the value that we add, right? I mean, we have really fantastic life science expertise and and that may apply in certain for certain companies that are trying to develop certain things and it may not apply as well 
for others. And I think we're going to continue to focus on where can we really find that greatest overlap in, in that Venn diagram that I laid out where there's the biggest amount of co-creation that both Novartis and the external partner can do to have a real impact on patients. So I think that's where we're focused on, but there's a lot of great companies out there. And I think it would be an injustice for me to name a, a few because there's so many people doing so, so many great things. And, and we, we always say at Novartis, we're, we're a hundred percent behind all these innovators. I mean, they're doing incredible things. And if we can do our small part and we will, um, to, to help, you know, scale important solutions where, where we can actually add value, we're going to continue to do that. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, I'm just going to let you go uh, get away with that one, uh, Jacob. Uh, but I, I get your point, you know, obviously there's a lot of, a lot of actors, you know, that, uh, that, that probably come to your mind. So it's, it's obviously unfair to, to mention just a few. Um, but hey, just maybe as a last last kind of um, question here. So obviously, um, it's it, you know we're in special times and 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 things are really you know buzzing uh, over uh, all over the world when it comes to the startup scene. You know, I mean, uh, money is available, um, being printed like crazy. I mean, it's 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 crazy times, right? So I mean, uh, that th- that's for sure. Also with COVID, etc. So just from your personal kind of standpoint, right? And, and the things that, that you observe, you know, how do you see kind of this post-COVID, um, you know, coming up? Uh, what, what is your take on, um, you know, and it can be from any perspective, you know, I'm, j- I'm just interested here. Like, how do, you, how do you look kind of forward, you know, from, from your perspective? You know, the way I look forward is, uh, if anything, you know, COVID was, Another catalyst, I think digital health was already heading in a direction, right? Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be increasingly important for us to figure out how to, how to take these technology paradigms and craft them into solutions that, that really have an impact on patients. And, and that's going to, I mean, the focus on that is, is only going to continue. I think, I think obviously with COVID, people started to see the impact that digital solutions can have and the importance of them much quicker than than maybe they would have otherwise. So it's been a catalyst. I, I think we're going to see some reversion, right? I think we're going to start to, we're going to see some reversion when things open up. I mean, just be not, I mean, in behaviors that have been ingrained in people for, for their entire lives um, that had to be put on hold for this special situation, I think are just going to naturally kind of creep back up. But I, I think there are going to be some lasting you know, impact from, from COVID around focusing on how do we really increase the, the, the leverage that these digital solutions can give healthcare systems to increase access to healthcare for patients, right? They're just are, it's undeniable that these digital solutions can, can, can increase access to healthcare for patients, make it more efficient. And so I think there will be a, you know, an increased focus on that, you know, going forward. Perfect. Hey, Jacob, thanks a lot for being on the show. It was really great having you here. Yeah, no, again, thanks for the great conversation and having me on as a guest. I really appreciate it. And maybe at some point in time, we do a part two, but this has been a real fun conversation for me. So really appreciate you, um, you reaching out for this invitation.